and good morning. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Sunday morning comes around again and if you have not joined us before, this is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people. People in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their decision-making and consequences and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can then choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Today's show takes us into another subject we shouldn't speak about. And I say that in inverted commas because obviously last week it was about religion and God. And this week is about families, partners and ex-partners of child sex offenders. Now, we d- we're not going to be talking about sex offenders themselves or the makeup of what goes into uh, why they do it or any of that. We're we really are focusing on the impact and the ripple effect of what happens to those who are around the person um, who has made the decision that they have made and had the behavior that they've made. I remember when I first heard this was a possible topic for the show, I remember wondering how our Stay in the Loop with Lucy listeners would cope with that. But I feel it's a topic we must discuss. And just how last week we talked about things that, you know, you end up saying, oh, we're not going to talk about this and we shouldn't talk about that. And as a society, it should all go under the surface. It's really important to bring a deeper understanding to those caught in the consequences of others. I have to be honest and say how saddened I am that it's even a thing we have to discuss. How lost we must have become to consider this abuse of the absolute innocence of children to ever be considered okay. Yet, just because I find it hard to consider or we might find it hard to consider, it doesn't mean it isn't happening. And once again, if we don't talk about it, then it happens regardless and perhaps has more power and influence because it is unspoken. My guests in the studio are at the forefront of an organisation called Pastoral Counselling Institute, which combines pastoral work with the Uniting Church and the psychological support for those in need. Um, welcome Naomi Miller-Powell and Sharon Van Doreen. Good morning, Lucy. It's, it's really um, quite an awesome privilege to be here this morning. Um, if you'd asked me five years ago if I'd ever imagined myself doing this work or even talking about it on a community radio station, I think no ways, and yet here I am. And um, yeah, I truly count it a privilege because I'm speaking on behalf of people who often don't have a voice. Everything in our society kind of silences their stories. So I sit here very humbly as a spokesperson just to try and make their voice heard in a way that is authentic and I hope reflects their experience. So thank you for for creating a space where the story can be shared because it is an important story and a story that's I think going to just keep growing if you look at the numbers and the statistics in Australia. It's we're just seeing the the tip of the iceberg. Um, so, 
I think the mm-hmm. more the more opportunities this can be spoken about, um, people in our society will benefit. So I thank agree, you. Sharon. Well said, well mm. said. And Naomi, thank you for coming in too. Thank you for having us, Lucy. Uh, I like some of the words that you've used. You've used the words forbidden, unspoken, mm. and under the surface. And um, <clears throat> I think it's important to start by acknowledging the experience of people harmed by sexual abuse. Yeah. The work that we do, um, that is the core of our motivation is to um, protect uh, the community, to protect children. So by the work that we're doing, we are by no means minimising the experience of children who've been abused. And in fact, we want to honour their their experience in our work. Thank you for that clarification. It's super important because bringing a topic like this to the radio station, we must, or to the airways, we must acknowledge those who've been on the receiving end who may want no part and no sympathy ever mm. offered mm. to the person that's done it or to anyone in their field. Absolutely. Yeah. And sympathy is the the totally wrong word to use. Mm. I mean, it's a, mm. it's a, it's a cringeworthy word mm. because mm. actually it's bringing understanding. And I think yes. really that will be our word for today. It's really mm. bringing understanding to, to what happens um, to the ripple effect of mm. one person's decision to do what they did. Yeah. Um, the ripple effect to the partners, to the ex-partners and to the families. Mm. The more research I've done, I, I have to thank you for the things that you have sent through to me, the, the, the paperwork that you've sent through, the studies, the booklet that you've done, all of which will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy blog site. <clears throat> Excuse me that I will put up with the um, recording of this show. But I thought I was understanding. But when you read some of the studies and some of the research that's out there, you get a much deeper understanding of the difficulties Mm -hmm. that the families um, go through and those and the, actually the challenge of the partners who choose to stay and equally the challenges of the partners that choose to leave it mm. it is a, a stigma funnily mm. enough that, that i've picked up that stays with them mm. regardless mm. yeah mm. i think what you've touched on there is that this is such a complex issue mm. i think traditionally people have really tried to make it simplistic mm. to try and keep themselves safe so the whole philosophy of you know throw them in prison throw away the key and the problem goes away. Mm. Not at all. I think the human nature is much too multifaceted and this problem is way too complex to offer such a simplistic solution. I think you don't really understand the issue if you see that as the ultimate solution. Um, You know, you, you mentioned understanding and that's very much what we do work with but also accountability and taking responsibility. Yes. Um, 
those are also key pillars of the the work that we do and if i can also pick up on on a word you used ripples Mm. you're so right it ripples across so many circles um, all the way from the individual to the people directly affected and those indirectly affected but i think another um, concept where rippling is relevant is across time um in the people with whom we've worked and the lives that have been affected, it's not just for a year or two years. This is something that goes across generations. Mm. When people perhaps are first exposed to it when they're parents, it comes up again when they become grandparents. Of course. So it doesn't just suddenly Mm. end. Mm. It probably carries on throughout people's lives. Mm. And that's why we need to talk about it in community, not in isolation, but in community. Naomi, I don't know if you Mm. want to add anything. Mm. I think um, the point that you made about across generations, um, I think of of the partners, I think of the mothers of people who've offended. It's an ongoing thing. It, It, the experience for some, it changes, but it, it doesn't stop particularly in terms of the, if we go right back to the beginning, when often um, the people that we work with are in their nightgowns when the police knock on the door. Right. Um, It's completely unexpected. They have no idea um, what their partner has been involved in. Yeah. Wow. And so for them, it's their worlds, (coughs) excuse me, their worlds are, are turned upside down. They're... They're shocked. They're um, taken to this space of um, this unknown world, mm. being involved with the judicial system that they have no experience of, and hoped had hoped never to have any experience. Of. Mm, absolutely, it would be really great to pick up on that unexpectedness, because I think there is a perception for those who sit on the outside Mm. in their judgment towers that oh gosh surely you must have known how could you not have known and I think that's something we really need to talk about because it it is a judgment that is layered on someone who's caught in the web Mm. um, and the ripple effect of this Mm. this morning we have uh, two guests in the studio today Sharon uh, Van Doreen and Naomi Miller-Powell welcome back both of you Thank Thank you. you. They work at the Pastoral Counselling Institute and are sharing with us the work they do with families, partners and ex-partners of child sex offenders. We've been talking this morning about how sensitive it is, how hidden it has been, how the ripple effect is, is far bigger than we perhaps as a society are prepared to talk about and the web of the people caught in in the outplay of one person's decision so let's go into that a little bit more we talked about the knock on the door and the complete surprise that these people have what 
in, in the experience of, of you and the people that you have worked with and the people who I have no doubt have contacted you because you are like a, a, a pool of water in a very large desert, what, are, what is the feedback that you're getting? Hmm. So you've mentioned the it being unexpected. Yes. Um, as I mentioned before, people are, are totally taken by surprise and for them it's a <clears throat> excuse me um, complete shock to find out and and a I guess they go into a place of disbelief this can't be true mm. I know this person um, how could how could they have done this the police surely must have made a mistake mm. and um, and so they they're caught in this of place of it's almost like the the bottom of their world just falls out yeah um, and and so then they're dealing with this process and then they have the responses of others. Yes. Of their family members. Um, surely you must have known. How could, how could you not know? Um, you must have known what they were up to. So, and then the disintegration and fracturing of relationships, particularly if there's been a hands-on offence of... Yeah. A child in the family. Yeah. Or the extended family. Mm. I think there is, I mean, and again, I don't work in your field. So as an observer, I can um, imagine that when someone says to you, surely you should have known and how could you not have known? Mm. There is perhaps a little bit of shame that they didn't know and mm. you feel such a fool mm. for not have picked picked up or mm. known this person that you supposedly love and are so mm. close to that the that you're more aware that that relationship has been a bit of a farce in the yeah. sense that what you thought you knew you didn't know mm. Mm. there's really that shattering of people's sense of reality mm. because what they trusted most has proven unworthy of their trust and they even like you said they start doubting themselves should I have known yeah. what was wrong with me why didn't I know why mm. didn't I see the signs um, and as they're already grappling with the emotional trauma then to cognitively try and make sense of all of this often by themselves because often people choose not to disclose to others because mm. of the stigma I don't think they are many things in our world that elicits more of an emotional response from others um, than sex offences. And then when you add the word child sex offences, I think it's probably one of the most emotive concepts yeah. that people have to get their heads around. So often um, the partners that we work with choose not to talk to others so they're completely isolated mm. trying to to make sense of of the world that's been turned completely upside down and the one person who they would usually talk to about all of this is the very person that's brought all of this upon them mm. um, so the amount of cognitive and emotional confusion and turmoil in those early stages um, is quite astronomical and, and the partners are often traumatised mm. um, by this experience and then the stigma of well you should have known what's wrong with you 
Yeah. And of course, they are very often the people who then have to keep their household going. Yes. So mm. if they have children in their household, mm. they have to they have to keep the routine for the children because already there's a trauma. As mm. you say, if it happens in the middle of the night and in their pajamas, you can't exactly um, hide the fact that, you know, it, and I'm presuming that it's mostly men who are, you're working with mostly women? Mm. Yes, yeah. at this stage. Yes. At this stage. So it's mostly men who are um, who are being uh, um, arrested and questioned and and. The, the whatever that wherever that goes to the conviction um the i would have thought then you have a whole load of social services involved mm. actually trying to ascertain mm. well has anything happened to the children in the home if mm. that wasn't the original call and the original reason for getting in touch so mm. the children will know because a lot of interest is suddenly yes. placed on them that something has happened mm. and something quite mm. big mm. and i think something that we've um picked up on is and other research one other piece of research has been done in australia and the findings were similar is that often the police when they are d doing that initial investigation and the raid um, inadvertently they can also be blame placed on the partners mm -hmm. where that um, perception of you should have known is just so pervasive um, and if I can just bring up a statistic that I find very interesting that in 2015 the AFP were inv investigating over 10,000 um, cases of online child sex offences. Wow, ten mm. over 10,000. Yeah. Mm. So I think we have this picture in our minds of, you know, it's what we see on TV when a child's been abducted and mm. um, there's been a sexual offence in that context and it's all very sensationalised. But a lot of the offence happens very secretively online in people's homes. Mm. And I don't have any facts to back this up, but I'm guessing... Of all these cases, the 10,000 is really just the tip of the iceberg. For mm. every one that's investigated, I'm sure there are numerous ones that aren't being investigated. Absolutely. So the, the numbers of families that are potentially caught up in this, it, it, yeah, it, it, it defies imagination almost. Mm. Mm. So important that we talk about it so that... The, there are two things that can happen from someone listening to this mm. either there is a uh, a decision to deepen the relationship you have with yourself so yes. that you can actually call for a deeper relationship with the partner that's yep. in your life and it's not uh, suddenly looking at your partner saying are you doing this or are you doing mm. that but actually being more aware of where there's disharmony mm. in your relationship and I've done so many shows on that, you know, feel free to look back through the, the catalogue and find the shows on how to do that. But it is about calling for a deeper relationship so that you mm. can actually spot where something isn't right. Um, you know, the, the history on a computer, if mind you, if someone's clever, they're going to wipe that. Yes. Yes. And, and often it can mm. be on their phone as well. Really? Yeah. yeah. Or tablet. Yeah. Um, uh, I know that we're not going to be talking about 
um, offenders in this show. And so I'm going to sort of uh, say that if, if this is outside your realm, please don't answer it. But when you talk about the online side of things, there is a hook that computers are very clever at doing. So if someone... Um, I mean, and maybe you can share with this, the step that they take is potentially to start off with pornography. Mm -hmm. And obviously we need to separate pornography with images of children because children cannot be pornographic. That's what I read in that research. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That they just don't, that you just don't associate the two. It is, um, it's actually the images of sexual children sexual images of children that pop up as they're going oh if you're interested in that maybe you'd be interested in this so it's it's a slippery road as there's a hook that your the algorithm on your computer is saying oh i can see what you're watching how about this well you did mention that this is outside of our area of expertise but anecdotally yes um what would occur would be uh, looking at, we actually consider adult pornography as adult exploitative material. Yep. And um, not child pornography, but child abuse material. Yes. Because what you're witnessing is a crime. Yeah. It's abuse. Yeah. So, um, uh, anecdotally, what would probably happen is we, you would have images, um, people would be looking at um, over 18 depicted as under 18. Right. Um, and then the, I guess there would be other uh, images that would, would come up. Um, and again, outside our area of expertise. And the for someone to click on that or to follow that, that link, um, it might be curiosity, but it's a curiosity that um, would not be most people would see that and be disgusted by it. Yes. Um, So there would be a reason for following that link. Yes. So something in someone's psyche, in their their makeup and what's... uh, and their cognitive abilities that's not firing Mm. in the way that it should. Often emotionally. Yes. Even more so the emotions override the cognitive, um, I guess, inhibition. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in... like I say, our limited exposure in this yep. field is often more emotional and around a person's attachment needs. Yes. That takes them down that path. Yeah, which of course is, um, I've, I've worked with um, some research on pornography is exactly what happens in yes. pornography. They're looking for intimacy yes. and they can't, they don't have it in their own lives. So they think that it's going to come through what they're watching, but of course it doesn't. It, and, and then it breaks down the intimacy they can actually experience in their lives because they're so used to getting the relief through an outside source. And just linked exactly to that, um, it highlights the importance of not isolating people. Mm. Because if the, the fundamental need is for attachment and you can't do it in a healthy way with another adult, mm. that's when you start potentially... I'm not by any means saying that everyone who has an attachment problem will seek out this way of getting that fulfillment. But if we want to protect our communities and children, it's about bringing people who are vulnerable into healthy 
adult relationships mm. rather than isolating them. Mm. That's the whole conversation about prison rehabilitation, yes. recidivism, isn't it? That yes. you, you cannot lock someone away and take away all love from their life. Yeah. Love is a healer. Yes. Okay. Um, we're going to continue this conversation after the break about the perception and the reality, perhaps. Mm. You know, what mm. we perceive and what actually is the reality for for these these women who who you're working with and families you're working with in the studio today are sharon van Doreen and naomi miller power welcome thank you thank you you work at the pastoral counseling institute and are sharing with us today the work you do with families partners and ex-partners of child sex offenders a topic we've already said is a tricky one because mm -hmm. it's it, it, nobody wants to talk about it. Um, there's a lot of stigma attached to it. And as we have discussed already, we all suspect it's just the tip of the iceberg, what we know and what we hear about that over 10,000 um, investigations yes. that the, the AFP are currently looking at. Mm. So what is the perception and the reality of what these families deal with? Let's go into you know, what's, uh, what is their world. I think a big component of that is um, when there are families involved, we often, it's the mother who herself is so traumatized and then she's still trying to provide a safe, stable environment for children because often um, sex offenders are fathers, they're husbands. Mm. Um, so their own families are affected and often it's the mother who through her own trauma is still trying to wake up, make school lunches, get the kids to school on time. And then also sitting with these really difficult questions of what does she tell her children? Mm. Um, that's often a question that comes up in um, the support group as well as in the individual counseling that we do is what do we tell our children? How do we tell them? When do we tell them? Yes. Um, and, you know, we, we're sitting here in a studio talking about this very rationally. Yeah. But if you can picture how your whole world is turned upside down and now you're trying to make these really good parenting decisions when there is no textbook no. that has a chapter on how do you tell your child that their father's a sex offender. Mm. Mm. Um, so you are grappling with some of the most difficult questions when your brain just feels like it can't process anything besides utter grief mm. and trauma. Mm. And a child's brain does ha hasn't developed in the same way. So their cognitive ability, their ability to process information is not the same. They're very mm. literal. Yes. So if you say that one, he's a sex offender and then he's hurt children, mm. it would have an incredible impact on them. Yes. And their future level of trust. Yes. And I think trust is something that is shattered mm. when this happens. So the trust that a young person would have with their mother or the other people, the other adults that now become actually quite important in their mm. lives, mm. how how do they deal with that? Because I know 
there must be a fair amount of comment of just tell them this, just tell them yes. that mm. to protect them. Mm. But in a way, that is not protecting them mm. in the long run because in the long run, they're going to find out the truth. So, mm. 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 And I think the um, just tell them this, just tell them that is a continuation of, of deceit, which is um, the deceit of the offender. Mm. You don't want to continue that. However, um, often we would in, well, I would encourage clients to be honest but to be age appropriate mm. um, and that really varies depending on the child what you tell them mm. and and keeping the child safe and secure within the limitations of the a very difficult situation I've worked with a number of adults and older teenagers and you can see in the way they process information mm. what age they had a trauma that has capped their emotional response mm. I mean you can't prevent that as a mother who is is trying to actually get out of bed mm. and process it themselves you can't always know how to say it and how to do it properly mm. um, so there is a certain amount of of making sure that there are some good supports that's around right. you. Absolutely. Mm. And that's where your service yeah. and other services, perhaps like Lifeline, might be able to come mm. in. You're mm. specialised mm. and that's mm. what's so good about what you're doing is you're going into a field that a lot of other people would know generally. But because you are working with people constantly, I think there's that's a... Um, it brings with it an understanding mm. of some of the intricate issues mm. that these women go through and families go through as opposed to the general yes. issue mm. of trauma and mm. trust. And I think we, you know, we never try and tell our clients what they should do, mm. but we give a safe space where they can think it through, where they can bounce around ideas, particularly in the support group that we run, mm. where there are other mothers who are perhaps a few steps ahead on this journey and they mm. can say this is the way I did it, this part didn't work, this worked for this child but not for that child. Mm. And again, it's just about slowly rebuilding that person's shattered self-esteem that actually, yes, I can have a conversation rather than either saying too much or too little mm. because I'm so frightened and so scared. Mm. Mm. Um, so just that... Uh, having a safe space to think out loud rather than to be sitting with all these thoughts going round and round in their own heads of what do I tell my kids can be enormously helpful. Mm. Can I just pick up on one point that you've made, Lucy? You mentioned um, the difficulty of getting out of bed. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that both Sharon and I have observed um, from the people that we work with is uh, the tremendous resilience and strength that they show um, in such a difficult situation where really their worlds are, are torn apart. And um, and they, I think there's no perfect response or recipe, a step one, step two. Um, but what we've seen is people journey along, they, um, it brings out characters and strength that they, they actually didn't realize they had. And um, so I personally have developed a great deal of respect um, for these women. I had an image of 
getting out of the passenger seat or perhaps the back seat of the mm. car that, that yeah. is their life and firmly getting into the driver's seat and going, right, yes. mm. how did I not... How did I not know? Uh, that's I'm going to take more. I'm going to be more aware. I'm going to be in that driver's seat from now, mm-hmm. and know that I have a responsibility mm-hmm. to do that. That getting out of bed is actually saying I am responsible for myself and mm-hmm. for and for moving forward and not letting this define yes. me. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about defining that, I, I can imagine that a lot of these women feel that they are treated as the perpetrators you both touched on that can we um just so that actually it's funny i kind of want to name and shame what we as a society do with these people because i think it's so wrong to judge another um, because of the actions of someone in their life but i think we need to understand what that looks and feels like for us to be able to see how we might perhaps be doing it inadvertently without necessarily consciously knowing we're doing it so we might have to just give it some color and flavor and show what that looks like and what it feels like Look, I think a very natural response to to a topic like this is one of fear mm-hmm. and disgust. Mm. I th- and I think that is completely normal. But my hope would be that people can maybe take it a step further. Even if you are fe- feeling that fear and disgust, if someone has been a friend for years mm. or maybe it's your sister Mm -hmm. or maybe it's your cousin or your aunt or someone else that's being affected take the time to at least have a conversation Um, rather than alienating that person based on the one side of information that you might have or the assumptions you might have of what a sex offender and their family looks like and is maybe just take the time to sit and listen to to their story and what's really happening mm-hmm. and if you still walk away with that fear and that same level of disgust of course you're entitled to that but I think sometimes if we can just push through that initial feeling mm. we can see how much bigger it is um, than just that initial response because so often the partners we work with have been alienated by their families and there have been massive splits in families where well either you choose him or you choose us you can't have both and of course it is difficult straddling trying to have a a relationship with someone who's still relating to someone who you know, has maybe offended against your family more broadly or against the community more broadly. Um, But the partners really need to be in healthy adult relationships um, with friends and families. And, of course, everyone who who gets affected goes through their own grieving process. Um, And they're entitled to that. But the more we can try and keep talking about it to one another rather than just cutting off and isolating, there's so much more hope for everyone to deal constructively with their grief and their trauma. We just shut people out when we get afraid and yes. don't know how to deal because with it. Because it's different we? and it's threatening. Yeah, and mm. it actually takes quite a lot of work on our part. And courage. And courage and understanding. Mm. 
Mm. It's much easier to walk away and hide and not deal with it. Which is possibly how they got in, the offenders got into the situation they're in. It's Mm. part of a vicious Mm. circle. Mm. You felt like you wanted to share something there. I was just thinking about sitting with with your own discomfort of someone else's story and allowing that to be while you hear the other person's story. Yeah. And also, um, Sharon was talking about the grief and the um, <clears throat> often uh, the people that we work with, there's this uh, conflicting process where they they're so they experience rage and anger and and possibly hatred towards the person who's offended. But at the same time, you know, this person is their life partner. They deeply love that person, and so there's this conflicting process for them. Um, and and what decisions do they make from that? And, you know, what are the consequences that, you know, we've spoken about the ripples? Basic things like housing. Yeah. Often when the, the uh, partner is incarcerated, the family has to sell the family home um, or they lose their family home. Um, we've had had experiences of people losing their jobs because it's been dis- somehow disclosed that their partner has committed an offence and they've they've lost their job. Um, Which is just putting everybody on such an enormous trajectory for for, for dangerous, for homelessness, for mm. uh, that low income, the trajectory for the children mm. and their mm. outcomes immediately mm. becomes high risk. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And often, you know, the mothers then have to make all these important financial decisions mm-hmm. by themselves. And again, they can't say to someone, well... You know, we don't, we can't pay our rent because my husband's incarcerated. He's a sex offender. Mm-hmm. Whereas, perhaps if there's a, a different type of trauma, people are much more willing to be sympathetic and yes. supportive. Yeah. So if he's if he's died because yes. he or he's you know just discovered he's got brain cancer or any kind of cancer actually, mm-hmm. any kind of de- mm-hmm. um, debility mm-hmm. that is. Wow. Well, there's so much judgment. I mean, like, where do you go with that? That's mm. Or even any other crime. Any other crime. We often yes. um, say, the partners often say, you know, if only if it had been Stealing. a murder, yeah. he might have, you know, it might be, we might be able to talk about it more. It's, mm. it's and yet murder. I mean, that, any of it. Mm. There might be mitigating circumstances yes. mm. for child sex offences in the popular mind there are no mitigating circumstances no no and and i i i get that yes you know in my mind i'm like really yes there's there's no excuse however or there's no reason however a mind that is so disconnected from love and from mm. what intimacy is and connection with other people um it really if you think about addicts and a gambling addict, they know they they that that potentially is mm. the rent for their family home, mm. and yet they cannot get over the compulsion to still put it on black, mm. or to press that button, or to continue that game. Mm. And there are pools that that are accepted as totally normal in marketing in bunny ears, 
inverted commas, or you know, um, hooks online mm. that 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 say, you know, come on, it's fun, it's mm. great. I mean, adverts on our television that mm. says it's fun, mm. it's great, mm. it's part of the national identity. You know, if we transferred all of that acceptability that's around gambling and put it around this, we would be horrified. Mm. Oh, you just. Mm. It begs belief, right? Mm. So, but there is no difference because they're working on the same addictive personalities Mm. that are not able to make rational decisions about the consequences of what they're doing Mm. because gambling the family's income or the family's home, they're still gambling. Whatever means they're using, they're still gambling on on life-threatening decisions, Mm. life-impacting decisions. Mm. No, I think we we have to really pull it back to what we accept as normal in our yeah. society and our community. Yeah. Um, I know that from a school point of view, there would be the whole thing of the children and being concerned that uh, being associated with that child might mean that if the child has experienced some form of uh, sexual abuse, they're likely to potentially... Uh, you don't want them to get close to their friends just in case they try and do something to them. Mm. That that's been spo- well unspoken about, but I certainly know it is spoken about in in research and around school. Mm. Uh, don't go to their house; something not quite right, or don't hang around with him; is something not quite right, or her. Mm. And yet we don't bring understanding and go, well, why is that happening? Why is that child exhibiting that behaviour? Um, there's so much isn't mm. there mm. It, there's so many layers and so many ripples and I think we also use the analogy of a web that yeah one part affects the whole um, it does mm. when we come back we're going to um, touch on what happens when there is the potential of the offender coming out of prison they have supposedly served their time for the crime that they have committed Mm. and uh, we are supposed to be a society that forgives and feels that once they've paid their price then we prepare them for coming out of prison and the research paper that you sent me about you know ex-offenders coming out of prison and the specific issues that are faced Mm. with child sex offenders coming out we're going to talk about that Sharon earlier you made a very good point about the difficulty of thinking about the complexity of Mm. of everything that goes with this topic Mm. and actually it's much simpler to be simplistic and say one we don't talk about it two let's just uh deal with it by putting them in prison isolate you know making sure that everybody around them is safe which is the primary thing we've got to do we Mm. do have to make sure that other people are safe Mm. until the person who is who has is who is exhibiting the behavior um, learns that that behavior is unacceptable and is able to self monitor Mm. Mm. we have to do the monitoring Mm. however that tendency to want to walk away and keep it simplistic is the higher one because as we all know we we don't there's no sympathy here there's no Mm. justification for what someone has done Mm. but there are people caught in the ripple effect of what someone has done that we must we must understand is only going to perpetuate a potential Mm. issue rather than heal something that might 
might go down from generation to generation through a lack of connection and a lack of awareness. So there are ongoing consequences for the offender and that's appropriate, absolutely appropriate and legitimate. And uh, uh, those consequences are for them and them alone, but unfortunately they do impact on their families and their partners and ex-partners um, and that's where where our work is we're, we're not feeling sorry for the offender um, in fact at the pastoral counseling institute there is a a treatment program called men taking responsibility and that is it's just that it's taking responsibility and it's a a program for offenders um, that takes three years to go through and then there is ongoing um, accountability through um, support groups mm -hmm. for the offenders so it's not about feeling sorry for them mm. it's about supporting and caring for those as you've mentioned caught in that web yep yeah and interesting because I can imagine I uh, that it again would be easy to say that because you work with the families and the partners and the ex-partners that you couldn't possibly work with the offenders but actually keeping it with different people who are doing it as you mm. say there are different personnel and, and experts within your organization mm. who work mm on those programs that is appropriate because yeah. there are not many places where where people can go to mm. talk about something that everybody kind of mm. runs away from mm. so it is appropriate that there are both mm. both of those services and i know lifeline do um work in terms of domestic violence they'll work with the mm. with a rehabilitation process for the uh -huh. perpetrators as uh -huh. well as you know the the support for the mm. um uh, for those on the receiving end mm. tell me more about the um the so if someone's coming out of prison what are the things that uh, are difficult for the families caught in this web mm -hmm. so even basic things like housing yeah. Um, you know, the family may, may lose their home. Um, when the offender comes out, they're um, for various lengths of time on the sex offender register, which has implications as to where they can live, how close to schools they can be, um, childcare facilities. Um, and that also has implications in terms of employment. Mm -hmm. They often are unable to continue in, in the role that... Um, they've had before they were, were charged. Yep. And so that has, again, financial implications on the family. The research does say that it's much better for the family to be around the offender mm. and to try and make that work mm. in terms of recidivism because yes. it's, they are much less likely to repeat offend mm. if mm. they can uh, make that relationship work. I think you've raised a really important point about um, uh, when partners go leave the relationship or they choose to stay. Yeah. Um, the position that we very much mm. take is that that is not our decision to make, that is not our place to judge. And people stay for lots of reasons. Um, and uh, similar to domestic violence situations, mm -hmm. people choose to stay. Yeah. And again, people who stay show incredible resilience and um, it's not about judging them for their decision mm -hmm. to stay with and that likewise, person. Likewise, 
yeah. people who choose to leave. Yes. yes. Um, I think a lot of the terminology and the phrasing we've used today has been mainly about people who choose to stay. Mm. But I can't give you numbers on this, but many people choose to leave. Mm. But I think we really need to honor the complexity mm. of those decisions. This mm. is one factor in a web of other factors that lead to a decision like this and it's something that we're very intentional in our support group because there we have women who've chosen to stay and women who've chosen to leave and some women who are ambivalent mm. yeah mm. Um, who don't know exactly what they want and I think many people in relationships not just related to this topic have been in that position mm. and what we try and do is just to support them so they can make the best decision for themselves for the right reasons mm. mm-hmm. does that make sense mm, absolutely and for their family for their circumstances exactly. we don't know exactly what their circumstances or family is but maybe if i can just give a couple of examples mm. of how people's lives change after the offender comes home um often the mother has been the one who's been managing things like discipline in the home um, and then dad comes home he's been out of the family for a long time and there's quite a significant period of adjustment where he becomes part of the family again Mm. Um, and simple things like discipline suddenly dad wants to discipline the kids but he's been away for um, reasons that the family doesn't condone. Do the kids still listen to him? Mm. Um, Attending kids' sporting events, often depending on the conditions on which they've been released. Um, Sex offenders offenders aren't able to attend events where there are other children present. So dad can't go and watch his children participate in their weekend sport or can't go to school functions. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of variation in what the restrictions are, but these are just some of the things that families have to consider. Um, Often dad comes home, but he's got to be supervised with the kids in the family so he can never be alone. Mm. with the children there must always be another adult supervising so depending on what the support structure looks like that might mean that mum must always be at home with the kids when dad's there wow so things we so take for granted when it comes to what it means to be a family you suddenly have to really look at and plan and sometimes you don't want to explain to people why are you making these decisions? Um, a lot of families choose to, to keep that private, but then people don't understand why aren't you attending? Why are you not coming to the family wedding? Um, so all of this is happening in the background. And like Naomi said, absolutely, it's an appropriate consequence. But let's also think of how do we support the partners and families who are sharing in that consequence Mm. Mm. a a, a term that we used at a symposium that we ran last October addressing this topic is the collateral damage Mm. Um, a lot of attention is paid to different parties affected um, but this is perhaps one part where there's been collateral damage that is overlooked Mm. there aren't support structures there isn't funding provided either into research, treatment or support for families of sex offenders. 
If someone wants to get in touch with you, how do they go about that? Probably the the simplest way is just to Google the organisation we work for, mm-hmm. um, Pastoral Counselling Institute. There's only one of us in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will take you to our website mm-hmm. and all our contact information is on our website. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone who perhaps hasn't uh, it hasn't come out or they're unsure or they just want to talk, they can also call. Yep. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Look, um, Naomi and Sharon, thank you very much for coming in and having this conversation. I think there are so many topics we might not have covered, so many yes. areas, so many <laughs> facets. Mm-hmm. As you so beautifully brought at the start here, Sharon, you're representing people who don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that either of you feel you could add or do you feel that we have represented them and started the conversation adequately mm-hmm. for then perhaps another conversation, another time to take mm-hmm. it further? Mm-hmm. I'd hope so. Mm-hmm. I, I hope we've been true. Mm-hmm. Um and I suppose the best feedback would be from from the v- admirable people that we work with mm, mm. and hearing their feedback about where we, through our own filtering and our own lenses, have perhaps emphasised one area to the neglect of the other. But mm. I think my concluding comment would be just, I suppose firstly I'm talking to myself and then potentially any any other listeners, but be brave in challenging your assumptions. Mm. Be curious. Don't just go for the simplest understanding because that is a false sense of safety it's going to give you. Mm. But be brave Mm. and talk and ask. Mm. And if you can, hear the story. Hear the story of the families partners and ex-partners and walk with them if you can that's our job in life isn't it to walk beside people no sympathy no judgment Mm. to walk beside to listen to hear we will each know what we need to do we just if we can have someone walking beside us then we feel the strength of us as a community mm-hmm. to deal with some of the difficult things that perhaps cross our paths. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for facilitating this conversation in, mm-hmm. in the way you have. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I would love uh, to learn from the feedback that if your clients do listen, mm-hmm. they can offer us. I hope we have or equally considered the whole in that framework mm. that please don't think that if this doesn't apply to you specifically, you can't actually translate what we're talking about to every other angle of your life. Mm. Be open to being curious about whatever is going on in your life and whatever mm. problems and whatever things look, might look very ugly uh, on the outside mm. or um, in terms of what our society accepts and doesn't accept. Go for it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you both very much. I feel that we can call each other to be a society that looks square in the face of what's not working and offer support and understanding so these behaviours are not part of our makeup. 
with behaviours becoming more extreme and poor mental and physical health on the increase. I feel we need to go back to looking at what a respectful and loving relationship is to ensure we're addressing it in all our interactions, regardless of age, gender, ethnicity, denomination. We make love our founding principle and express that through kindness, caring, decency and respect and some foundational self-care and self-love. Next week, we've got a totally different topic. We're going to be talking to Chris Saville from United Tradies about their Make a Difference Day. This is a, a, a charity event that happened just recently where uh, Chris um, is working with tradies to be decent people, to be uh, to, to not have the potential to think you're going to be, to use an expression, done over by uh, someone's bill or someone's shoddy work. He's raising the bar on, on what it is to have tradies come into your home. I do hope you all join us live on Triple H 100.1 FM or uh, listen to the Stay in the Loop with Lucy podcast wherever you get them. Don't forget, I'm on iTunes podcast and uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher and TuneIn. So wherever you listen, feel free to leave a message. Regardless of what has or is happening in your life, you are and you always will be you and we must never forget that you are amazing. The key, the key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so that you can recognize when your body is trying to tell you something's not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental or physical health, to build tools to address what you do not yet feel equipped to manage. Look for support in the community. It is there. We just need to learn how to open up to that support and trust again. Don't wait for life to come to you. Take yourself to life and be the change you want to see. Till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you and connect with the amazing people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be love, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.